Today we continue our series, uh, Born to the Second Power. We saw two weeks ago, we looked at the birth of man, we looked at Adam and Eve, and then last week we looked at the birth of sin, and today we are going to look at the birth of Christ and how that birth impacted eternity and how it still impacts us. And next week we'll look at what it means to be born to the second power, what it means to be born again, what it means to have new birth in Christ. And, and today as we look at this birth of Christ, we all have a birth certificate. We all have been born. We all have a date that we look back on and say that was the day that we were born. And birth is a significant time stamp in our lives. It's that moment when we come to earth and we say we're here and we have a chance to make a difference in this world. We all have births that are here today. But we're also going to look at what it the impact of Christ's birth and what his birth meant to us. I have three children. We have three children, my wife and I. And by God's grace, we have, I've been at the birth of those three kids. And, and every one of them has been special and every one of them is meaningful to us. And, and if you've ever been to the hospital to visit someone, maybe your grandparent, maybe your brother, sibling, aunt or uncle or friend, and maybe you're a mother and father even, and you know there's a moment when the child is born, it's placed in a nursery and, and in many hospitals that we have, there's this place where you can go and you can stand at the glass and you could look in and you can see all these new children that have been born with a name on the end of this little crib that they're in. It's a special moment. It's a significant moment. It's a time of joy because you're celebrating new birth. I recall when Josh was born 24 years ago in Hagerstown, Maryland, it was a significant birth for us. It was our first. It shaped us differently. We became parents. And there was some, some really scary moments. And, and he was an emergency C-section. Things went differently than what we had anticipated. By God's grace, there were some moments we weren't sure how it was all going to play out. God stepped in. Josh was able to make it through that. Ann was able to make it through that. But it was a moment that I'll never forget. And as a father... We now, I now had a son, and so I wanted to buy my son something to celebrate his birth. And so the first thing I did, I went out to the local mall in Hagerstown, Maryland, and I went to the mall and I decided I wanted to get him some Adidas basketball sneaks. Thought, good gift for my son, buy him some Adidas basketball shoes. We like hopes, we like Adidas, let's go get him some shoes. So I went to the local mall that was there, went from footlocker to to sports store to other sports store and trying to find shoes for our son something that it was a gift from me from us to our son I found a pair I was excited they were Dita's they were leather they were made for him and I remember taking him back to the hospital and and and, and looking at our Josh as we were there and placed him on his feet and I, I think he wore them till he was nine years old they that was as small as I could find and and there's this moment, there's this picture we have of Josh. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's an infant. We have baby pictures. And the shoes were so big, but they're the smallest I find that his legs were like this. Just. But it was a significant time stamp. We were celebrating that birth. And it was a moment that we'll never forget, as is and are the other births of our children. It was significant because as a father, I had a son. I've had a daughter. I've had another son. And so celebration meant his life was yet to be lived. There was this future that we could pour into him. We could watch him hopefully come to Christ, and he did. We could see him make an impact on this earth for eternity. You picture, if you can, a moment, just 
what it was like for Christ and his birth and his father. Imagine for a second Christ coming to earth. Yes, it was a birth at Christmas. Yes, it was a significant time. But when Christ came, he not only came to live, but he came to die. So imagine if you can as a parent, knowing as a father, that when your son came and was birthed as the God-man, was birthed as the incarnate son and in this, to this virgin woman called Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Imagine this moment, which is a time of celebration, yet... When Christ came, it was a birth, and a little twist on it was he was coming to die. It wasn't like I look at Josh or Hannah or Isaiah, we looked at them and thought, boy, they're coming to die. No, they were coming to, Christmas is a story of a godson coming not only to be born, but to die. So I was processing that. What would that look like? What would that look like to us? And, and we were at a small group meeting in the years past at a home and around a pool, and it was in the evening, and we were there with our small group, and there were some families there, and one of the families had a two-year-old kid, and, 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 and if you're a parent, you know what it's like when you're seated by a pool, trying to carry a conversation with the dogs, while your two-year-old is walking around the pool. You have eyes in the back of your head. You're in conversation, one eye is here, the other eye is here. It's that nature that you have to protect, especially as a father and a mother. But consider God himself, consider God himself, Sending his son as the father to the child, knowing that he's coming, and knowing that when he's coming, he's going to die. While we were there at that pool, I was having conversation with the father. And before I know it, he jumps out of his chair, dives into the pool because his child had walked off the edge of the pool and was sinking to the bottom of the pool. Immediately, the instincts of a father to protect. Immediately, the instincts of a father to provide. Immediately, the instincts of a father to make sure their child was okay. He dove in, grabbed the child, held him out of the water, brought him to the side, and rescued his child. So I was picturing that. Like when God sent his son, he knew he was coming to die, yet he restrained himself. He, he held back the rescue of his son. How strange would that be if that father that I was talking to saw his son fall into the water. Everyone else saw it. Everyone around the pool. And the son is screaming for help. Yet the father would go and restrain and hold everybody back. How weird would that be? How indifferent would that be? That, that he could jump in and and to save him. Others could have saved him too. Yet the father says, no, he must die. In an interesting way, that's the twist on Christmas. God sent his son to be born. And there's a moment in history that we're going to see in this message. Not only did he come to be born, but he came to die. And God restrained himself. He could have rescued him. He could have reached down and pulled him out from the bottom of the water, yet he chose not to. Why? Because he loves us. And because we saw last week that man needed to be rescued from their sin. Let me show you this account. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2 and, and, and follow along with me. And if you have, don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will put one in your hand. We're going to read this out loud together today. Or turn to your mobile device and turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 4 through 10. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. But turn there with me and read along with me God's word today. Stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. 
Luke 2, verses 4 to 10. Let's read this out loud together. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Verse 5. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You have a seat. And it goes on and says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We needed someone to rescue us. We saw it last week. That sin has continually and will continually be passed down from the father to the children. The sin nature will be passed down because of Adam and Eve's sin. I want to show you how God jumps in right away after the birth of sin to say, we need a rescuer. I need to send someone to rescue my kids. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, where we were at last week. Look again at Genesis chapter 3. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. The man and the woman, Adam and Eve, had just eaten from the fruit and sinned. And so God is coming after and We read this last week, but I want to set the context. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Look what God does. It's his first message that he preaches in Genesis. It's the very first message that God preaches. And he's preaching it to Adam and Eve and to the serpent. And he says this in verse 15. I will put enmity, hatred between you and the woman. And between your what? What's it say? Offspring and hers. He will what your head? Crush your head. And you will do what to his heel? strike right away. You might ask him, now, how does that have anything to do with Christmas? What does that say about birth? What does that say about virgin birth? I wish I could take the time, but I won't, but I'll give you a snapshot. This is the first instance in scripture referring to the virgin birth. This is the first time that God steps in and says, Hey, I have a message to preach. There's going to be a woman and she's going to give birth. And it's going to be a virgin woman. And, and she's going to give birth to a son. And this son will crush Satan's head. And Satan will physically wound and harm him. It's prophecy about the future. How do I know this is about the virgin birth? Because we've got to keep in mind here, in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, every single time there's a reference to birth. Every single time there's a reference to lineage. Every single time there's a reference to family. They always mention the father. They always talk about the father. Yet in this account, Genesis 3 and verse 15, there is no mention of a father. That's very unusual for the typology of Genesis in the Old Testament. 
This is how scripture would normally speak. They would have the father's name. Yet it's not here. Why? Because the woman will give birth to a son, Mary, a virgin woman conceived by the Holy Spirit. So think about this. Immediately, immediately, like right away, follow man, follow woman, God steps in and he preaches a message. And he says, guess what? I am the, the, the God, the father. I'm going to send my son. It's going to come through a woman, a virgin woman. She's going to give birth. He's going to crush Satan's head. Satan might harm me and physically hurt me, but I'll win and we win. Amen? Right away, he jumps in. Right away, virgin birth. The answer is on its way. Isn't that what fathers do? Fathers want to rescue. Fathers want to protect. Fathers want to step in. And God the Father steps in. Had God instead destroyed Satan without sending his son to be born a virgin, to live a perfect life and go to the cross, all humanity would be lost. So here's the picture of Christmas. Here's my definition. If you were to ask me, I'll give you my... Here's how I define... This is what I say the definition of Christmas is. Christmas. We blew it so badly that we couldn't rescue ourselves. And God sent his son to rescue us. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a picture of us blowing it so badly, sinning so badly that we couldn't rescue ourselves. We can't get out of the water ourselves. We, we can't make it to God ourselves. It's only through Jesus. Someone perfect had to come along and it was Jesus Christ. And by the way, the first man lost, the first man sinned, but the second man, the second Adam we know as Jesus, he didn't lose and he didn't sin and we have hope and salvation in him. Christ comes through. The Father God sends his son. He refused to leave us in the state of sin. So you know what he did? He sent his son, Jesus, at Christmas. The birth of Christ at Christmas is a rescue story. The birth of Christ is a story of a father God loving his children, protecting them, and rescuing them like any father would do for his children. Literally. Christmas time, you often hear people say, Jesus is the reason for the season. And you've probably said that. By the way, that's not good theology. It just isn't. Not that Christ wasn't born at Christmas, but Jesus isn't the reason for the season. The reason Jesus came is because we blew it so badly that he had to send us. We are the reason for the season. It's our sin. It's because of our sin. It's because of Adam's sin. It's because of Eve's sin and everyone. It's because of our sin that we need a Christmas. Christmas is here because of our sin. We are the reason for the season. Now, there's some good news in that. Like this Christmas coming up, you might have some family members or friends, or maybe you're going to a, a, an outing, Christmas outing where you work, and there's someone that you don't get along with. They don't know this, but when they come up, you can greet them and say, hey, Merry Christmas. I just want to let you know, you are the reason for the season. <laughs> just give them a hug. And just say it with a smile on your face, yeah, you are the reason for the season. <laughs> and don't tell them I told you to do it. <laughs> so what did the angel say? Look back at Luke chapter 2. He's coming. Jesus was born. And in, in Luke chapter 2, look what the angel says in verse 8. And there were shepherds 
living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you what kind of news? Good news. What kind of news? What kind of news? Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I like good news. You like good news. Everybody likes good news. Everyone needs good news. We should have good news. How many times in conversations have you had someone come to you and they open the conversation by saying this? I got good news and I got what kind of news? And so what do you say? Give me the what news first. Yeah, I I say good news. Give me the good news first. So give me the good news first. Give it to me. Like, and so when you, someone says that, you're thinking, when someone says it's good news, you're not thinking, what am I going to have to do now? When it's good news, it's like, I don't have to do anything. It's been done for me. Good news might, might be, you might be saying, you might think, I know it's not going to cost me. If it's bad news, you're thinking, it's probably going to cost me something. But when it's good news, it's like, no, it's not even going to cost me anything. So we like good news. Good news is information that says, that's awesome. Good news means your life somehow is going to get better. Good news means there is something you don't have to do that you thought you were going to have to do. Like someone says, I got good news. Like, it's a game changer. Good news is the prof in college during finals week. You've studied all week or maybe you studied all night and you pulled up all nighter and you drank three pots of coffee and the exam is that day and you are so worn out and so tired and, and, and you walk into the classroom. Good news is the prof saying that there won't be a test and he ordered pizza for everyone and everyone gets an A. Now that's good news. The angel said, I have good news. Listen to me. This has been the best good news that was ever given on planet earth. Christmas is a story and a message of 100% good news. Christ has come. The Father, God, has sent his son to rescue lost people. Any amens? That's the good news. His birth is a story of rescue for us. Christmas in your home, in my home, in all of our homes should be good news. Our heavenly father came and sent his son, Jesus. Yet somehow we've complicated it, haven't we? Like some of you are so stressed out when it comes to Christmas. We've complicated what is supposed to be good news. Now it's Christmas is coming. Oh no. Christmas is coming. All stress. Christmas is coming. What am I going to buy them? We've complicated this beautiful thing called Christmas. By saying things like, well, well, whose house should we go to this Christmas? Should we go to their house, her house? Should we go to his house? Should we, should we go and do that tradition that I detest? Putting on jammies and running around in onesies? Like, and so we've complicated this whole mess with all kinds of things that aren't good news. Will they like it? And then it comes to gift giving, isn't it? Like, 
oh, I hope they like it. And so we go through Amazon, we go through eBay, we, we run through and, and, and we put out hints like, hope they like that. And, and some of you are so stressed out right now because you haven't even started your shopping. You're like, oh, it's not good news. It's Christmas. I can't wait till Christmas is over. Where do we go wrong? Because the good news has already come. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's changed everything. And, and let me just say it this way. If you have Christ, you don't need anything else. Christ settles the debt of your sin. Even our wives, those of us who are married, like sometimes, like you go to your wife and you say, oh baby, what do you want for Christmas? She says, oh, nothing. Let me know how that one goes. Oh, I don't need anything. Just buy for the kids. I don't need anything. But woe to the husband. Woe to the husband who wakes up on Christmas morning and all the gifts are given out. And she's sitting there. And there's no gift for her. And you're like, but you said you wanted nothing. Let me know how that goes this Christmas. Christmas is God so loved the world. That he gave his only, one and only, only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, whoever receives him as their Lord and Savior, will have eternal or everlasting life. Christmas is a story of God giving a gift called Christ. Christmas is a story of giving us a gift that he'll never take back. That we could never take back. Christmas is a story of everlasting life. Eternal life. I've had people through the years ask me this question many, many times. They, they ask me this question. Like, like how, how eternal is salvation? Like, could we ever lose our salvation? I always answer with this. What part of eternal life and everlasting life isn't eternal or everlasting? If God gave it to you, he's not going to take it back. It's an eternal gift. God the Father has good news, Grace Community Church. He gave it in the garden when he preached his first sermon in Genesis chapter 3. He gave it again when the angels and t- talked to the shepherds after the birth of Jesus that he was coming to restore all that was lost. And you know what? He did. He did. Can I just pull away and say this? Let's stop complicating Christmas. The indescribable gift has come and it's Jesus Christ. And his gift keeps giving and we can keep giving that gift to others. That's the best gift that you could ever give anyone is Jesus Christ. Imagine being willing to rescue people who would once curse you, spit upon you, deny you, who would sin every day and then ask for forgiveness, sin every day and ask for forgiveness. You and I, we sin, we ask for forgiveness. We sin, we ask, just this daily pattern of sin. God wanted to send his son to rescue us. All I can say is this, we have a good, good father, God. Grace community, we have a good, good father. I don't know where your journey has taken you. And some of them have been pretty, 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 pretty ugly. 
Some of you don't even know who your father is. Some of you were abandoned by your father. Some of, some of you have a, a twisted relationship with your father. Some of you, when you think about father, it's hard for you to think that there's a father, God, that would do anything good for you. I have good news for you. There is a good, good, perfect father called God who loves you, who loves you so much that he sent his son. He's a good, good, good father. You don't have to look to any other father. You have one that has sent his one and only son because he loves you. Fathers will do most anything to rescue their kids. Picture if you can. Jesus and the Father seated on the shorelines of heaven before the foundation of the world, before the world was formed. We looked at that a few weeks back, before it all took place. Now, keep in mind, it's very challenging for us because we, are, we have finite minds. We think in time and space. We are limited by time and space. We can't predict the future. So all that we, we have in our minds is what we've seen, what we heard, and what we're in. So we can't think past, present, and future. So when God thinks and we think about these thoughts, his ways are much higher in there. So, so when he's thinking and when he speaks, he's thinking past, present, and future all at once. But picture if you can, as we know it in our timeline, before the earth was created, the Father God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit all seated together in heaven. Before earth was created, before man came and sinned, before you and I came, before Satan, Lucifer, was thrown out of heaven, before he sinned, before there was any sin. Picture, if you can, just Jesus with his father on the shorelines of heaven. I picture them just skipping rocks across the lakes. It's a perfect day. Weather is sunny and warm. A fresh breeze is brimming across the water. Trees are full blossom and luscious. Fruit is hanging on branches that is so low that you can almost go and just take a bite right off the edge of the tree branches. Birds are chirping. Monarch butterflies are moving from one flower to the next. Deer are grazing in the meadow and squirrels can be seen jumping from tree to tree. Angels are gathered nearby flopping their wings to the tunes of hallelujah and holy, holy, holy. Seraphim and cherubim are flying by with gazing splinter and beauty that John gives us a picture of. Thousands and thousands of angels worshiping the Father and the Son. Our Savior is having another perfect day with his Father. But somewhere in that conversation, before man was ever created, before the earth took its form and shape, God had a talk with his son. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, he knew that would be written. He knew that John would see that vision. He knew that the Holy Spirit would inspire that. He knew that would become part of the 66 books of the Bible. He, he, he knew because he can see the future. He knows the future. He knew that in Revelation chapter 13a that John would say that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. He knew, he knew, he knew that, that, that when Jesus was coming, he knew that, and he's having this conversation, and for the very first time, think about this, for the very first time in heaven, the word death and kill and cross and Christ would die. The word not only birth, but now, but now sin. And they began to unpack this plan that somehow someone had to go and rescue. Someone had to step in. Someone needed to rescue lost kids. That we needed a father God that would rescue us. And for the first 
time, every jot and tittle that was covered from Satan's fall to Satan's doom, from the creation of the world to the creation of the new heaven, thousands of years planned in a moment's notice from Adam to Zeke, from Alyssa to Zebulon. Every person's name's mentioned, you and my, and even mine, century after century planned from beginning to end, and then there was a silence in heaven as the Father began to unfold this plan. And the silence is deafening as God the Father knows that some kind of remedy must be developed to answer man's need of salvation. The early days were perfect before the foundation of the world, before the earth was created, perfect in every way. But now death rattled the hallways. Angels had never heard the word death. They had never heard the word sin. They couldn't go to the angel dictionary and look up death. They had never witnessed it before. They weren't omniscient. They're not all-knowing. No one was all-knowing except for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they were looking and thinking, what is going to happen? Someone is going to die. Then it hit home. It would be the Son. When I became a father, it really shaped me in a different way. As a Christ follower, when Ann and I became parents, all of a sudden, I began to look at my relationship with Father God differently than I did before. I even began to look at the relationship that I had with my mother and my father and my stepfather differently. I began to understand why, why they wanted all these questions answered when I was growing up and why, why they wanted to know how my day went and why they were be nonstop. Tell me, how did it go? How did it go? I began to understand it was because they loved me. And I began to see all of a sudden when we had children that I wanted to protect, I wanted to love. And I began to understand this father relationship with his children. I began to understand why he wanted to rescue us. I began to understand why he wants us to live like he lives. I began to understand in a fresh way. And it literally, it changed me as a Christ follower. My relationship went deeper because I now understood the cravings and desires of a father for his children. So I began to process this. What would this be like as a father? Imagine sitting with our children and and, and, and imagine for me sitting with my 16-year-old son right now and telling him that I wouldn't see him for 33 years. Because that was the separation that was going to take place. Imagine Father God sitting with the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and saying, you know, no, I just want to let you know, not only are you coming, not only are you going to be born on Christmas, but you're going to live 30 to 33 years. To know that there's going to be this separation. So I was thinking about that. What would that be like to, to grab Isaiah? And, and so I began to process it, to know that I would be 86 years old. I would miss out on so many moments, just... Sometimes you're just simple moments. Sometimes Anne will tell you the same. Sometimes we just sit with our kids and we just listen. And as a parent, to hear our kids tell them how the day went, it's one of the greatest gifts your children can give you. Just being in space together. I would miss out on high school sports and the dating scene and his marriage and turning wrenches and grandchildren and graduations and scoring the winning shot or getting a hole in one in golf or making a saving catch and or him telling me stories about who he shared Christ with or that for the first time he looks at me and says dad but there's this one girl that I really love 
I would miss out on all that. How about the other side of the story? Imagine Jesus talking to his father or me talking to Isaiah and Isaiah looking at me and and asking these questions. But dad, how how am I ever going to learn how to continue to work on cars? Like, dad, how will I learn how to to build a house? Dad, how will I understand Greek? Dad, you won't be there to share the joys. We we won't have those father-son talks. And I, I don't know what it's like for you, but I love having those. And Ann loves having them. I, I, I had one last night. I, and, and we work hard at it. I, and when Isaiah comes home, we engage. And he understands. And, and, and he's patient. And, and even last night, before he headed to a basketball game against Northwood, I walked into his room before I did a wedding. Then we went to the game afterwards. And, and I went and put my arm around my son. And I said, you're going to pray, aren't you? Yeah, we're going to pray. Put my arm around him. I said, I love you. I love you, Isaiah. I love you. And I prayed over his life. Oh, Lord. I pray that he'll use basketball tonight and the skills that you've given him. And I pray that, that you'll be exalted through the way he, he plays basketball tonight. And I pray you protect him from injury. And I pray he'll have fun. Never get done praying. I, I was teary-eyed. Over, and he said, thanks, Dad. Thanks for taking the time to pray with me. Not just for me, but with me. So I wonder what that was like in those moments when... when the vacant seat on the throne would be a reminder that his son would be gone. 33 years. I wonder how they spent their last days together. How would you? You're looking at your child and you're realizing, I'm not going to see him for 33 years. Like, what might, you, what might be the last thing that you would want to... you probably just hold on and hug him. Just walk around him. <laughs> I wonder what that was like. How would you respond if you knew that your child would be gone for a very, very long time? And at the end of this very, very long time, they would die on a cross. They would get slaughtered on a cross. They would have a sword jammed into their side. They would have a crown of thorns pushed down into the cranial side of their heads. And they would breathe their last breath. How would you feel releasing your son to that? You know, the reason you and I emote, the reason you and I cry, the reason you and I laugh, the reason you and I have emotions is because we are made in the image of God and he emotes, so we emote. I was thinking about that this week, what that separation 33 years. You know, by God's grace, we've seen two of our kids graduate from college, from Grace College, but I remember taking Isaac, or Josh down to Grace College. He's 33 minutes away. I remember loading up all the stuff, and we're excited because this new venture in life, and he's going to go down there, and, you know, he was playing baseball, and he was going to live for Jesus and grow, and eventually became an RA. You know, we're, we're excited, and we're, we're moving into this dorm called Beta. It's like, they call it the zoo, and you see why after you get there. It's just, it's like, but it's good. It's good. It's a good zoo. It's where teenage and 20-year-olds have lived for 30 years. Imagine what that building looks like. Put them, but anyhow, just... We dropped him off. We're excited. Went to these parent meetings and they're prepping us for what it's going to be like when you're going to be away, when you go home and you're going to walk to that bedroom and they're not there. We got this one down. God is with us. And then remember as we're setting that meeting, it was going. 
We got in our Jeep and we're heading up 15 after we had dropped Josh off and we're 33 minutes away. And the tears just... I mean, I was a sobbing mess. I look over and Ann's... And we never spoke a word for 33 minutes. Crying our eyes out. 33 minutes away. Now imagine, 33 years. Never being able to contact. Never going to say, good job. Wanting at any moment to reach down and, and speak and touch and say, I see you. I'm proud of you. I love the son's willingness and surrendered heart to do what his father said too. All through the New Testament, every time Jesus had an opportunity to say something about his father, he spoke highly of him. He edified his father. He lifted up his father's name. I know the father loved his son and I know the son loved his father. Because in John chapter 17 and verse 24 Jesus said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. He said, I want them to know about that conversation we had back then. And in that conversation, you told me that I would be slain one day from the foundation. I want them to know, he said in John 17, 24, because you love me before the creation of the world. Can you imagine that conversation? As the two of them began to get close to Christmas, can you imagine that conversation as it was 10 months before Christmas, as it was one month before Christmas, as it was one week before Christmas, as it was one hour before Christmas? Can you imagine as you got closer to that departing moment, how the emotions got got closer to the throat, and as they knew there would be a separation? And God would send his only son to save the world because we blew it so badly that we couldn't rescue ourselves. And then Jesus spoke this about his father when he was on earth. John 10, 17, he said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. I don't understand that. I'm being very honest. How can Jesus say, the reason my father loves me is that I can lay down my life only to take it up again. That's heavy. I can't imagine sending my son. I can't imagine sending either of my children, all three of my children. I can't imagine looking at any of my kids and saying, I want you to know, this is how you'll know that that, that, that I love you. I'm going to send you to lay down your life. Okay? We'll see you in 33 years. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I I could not send (laughs) Isaiah. I couldn't send Josh. I couldn't send Hannah. I would go before them. I couldn't do it. Not only could I not do it, but to have a child that was willing to do it for us. Save people who irregularly curse you. Save people who irregularly sin against you. Save people where a majority will reject you and believe that there's another way to God. Go and die for the whole world. Who would ever do that and why would that ever happen? Here is who would. Jesus Christ. And why? Because we have a good, good, perfect father that loves us. The rescue cost him time away from his father. 
This part of Jesus' life, God becoming man, the Christmas account, the days of life on earth will show you that Jesus loved his dad. He loved him dearly. You will not find a better example of anywhere of raw love for one's dad. The son's respect for the father is impeccable. In fact, listen to some of these accounts. Listen to Jesus speaking. In John chapter 16 and verse 23 about his father, he said this. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give whatever you ask in my name. He fully trusted in his father. And in John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said this. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. He wants to please his father. Then he says this in John 14 and 31. He says, but the world must learn that I love the father and that I do exactly what my father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. He was obedient to his father, even death on a cross. And then he says this in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, father. He praised his father. And then in John 14, 16, listen to this. Jesus says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He always asks his father for help. And then in John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father never stops working. So why should I? He spoke highly about his father's work ethic. Jesus said, my dad never stops working, nor should you. You want an example of a good work ethic? Look at God, the father. Then he says this in John 10, 29. No one can snatch him out of my hands. He saw his father as powerful. All through the New Testament, my father, my father, my father, my... There was never one instant in scripture where he wasn't willing to listen to his father. Why? Because he knew that his father, God, was perfect. He knew that this plan was perfect. And he knew that he must come to rescue us because he loves us too. He still loved his father, even though the plan included separation and death. These were not easy days for Jesus, nor were they for Father God. I often wondered, there had to be, because he emotes. I often wondered, as he saw Jesus and, and he was pressed against the wall, or people wanted to come after him and attack, I often wonder how many times the father wanted to reach down and rescue his son by just going... He could have. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have just plucked him out of the way. He could have removed the cross. He could have, he could have rescued him. He could have pushed away his enemies. He could have, he could have just went, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew that you and I needed a redeemer. He knew that we needed a perfect God man to save our souls. Oh man, please. Just don't complicate Christmas. Jesus loves us. The Father God loves us so much that he gave his son to rescue us. That's what Christmas is all about. I love in scripture. It's like God gets two chances. Like he could have taken, and I'm sure he wanted to. Like if you had a chance, if you saw your son, you could see him from a distance and you wanted to say good job. And he had, he had two chances. And we see in scripture where he finally acted and spoke. 
Luke chapter 22, verse 43, it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Can you imagine as God the Father opened the gates of heaven and he looked at the angel and said, all right, take really good care of him. And he went down and it says, the angel attended to him. Can you imagine as he said, wipe the sweat off his brow, give him the best water, give him the best meal that he needs. Like, tell him just through the touches of food and through the touches of, of this comfort, let him know that, that, I'm, that, that, that I love him. He only did it one time and spoke about it in scripture. And then there's this moment that I love because it's a powerful picture of what a father can do for his sons. After his baptism in Matthew chapter three and verse 17, God finally had a chance to talk. Imagine 33 years of wanting to say, good job, good job, good job, good job, good job. I'm proud of you, I'm proud, I'm proud of you. 33 years of not being able to articulate anything. And then finally, just one time in scripture, he find, imagine you just getting, sending one text, having one message, one FaceTime message. You only get one chance in 33 years. Imagine what, how you would say it. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, and I'm well pleased. I got to believe that it was deep and it was loud. I got to believe that not only did those at the baptism and those around here, I got to believe that most of Jerusalem heard it. This is my son. And whom I'm well pleased. There's also a little sidebar here. Jesus could have said or heard anything from his father. But every son needs to hear from his father that he is proud of him. Listen. That's still applicable today. I know 80-year-old men that never heard that from their father that are still dealing with insecurity because a father never told them that he loved them and he was proud of them. Listen, Jesus set the bar. Jesus set the example of hearing this from his father by Father God telling him, listen, dads, make sure you tell your sons over and over and over and over that you are proud of them, that you are grateful that they are your kids, that you love them. And imagine, Imagine that moment as Jesus was walking through this ministry where he finally heard. Listen, he was a God man, so he was man. He needed that too. He needed his dad to tell him. He wanted to hear from his father that he was proud of him. And when God spoke, that's what he said. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It must have been difficult as God the Father watched him go through ridicule, abuse, and hardship, only to show restraint. Listen, church, he could have called the whole thing off. He could have said, enough of this. Look at these people. There's Pharisees. There's, there's people who are just following Jesus because of miracles. They're just needy, wanty people. They don't really want to sacrifice and carry the cross like my son is talking about. We ought to just wipe them all out. Jesus, you don't need to die. But he didn't. Why? Because he loves us. See, God the Father in Jesus' view of Christmas is very different than ours. Christmas is a story of rescue, not abandonment. Sometimes we don't see the good news until we see it against the backdrop of bad news. 
The birth of Jesus at Christmas reverses the fortunes for many. We were headed to hell because of our sin. But the birth of Jesus reverses the fortunes if we trust in him. Grace, listen to me. If you don't get anything else today, here's what I want you to know. We got a good, good father. A good, 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 perfect father. Good, good father. So what's that mean to us today? Those benefits still impact us. So if you find yourself dealing with heavy hardship, crushing loneliness, empty heartache, dashed dreams, bad news or bad reports, consider that God is a perfect father and has already worked out a perfect ending to your present situation because here's why. He loves you with perfect love and loves you more than anyone else could ever do. We got a good, good father. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to not complicate Christmas this year. Help us to know that we have a good, good father. Perfect in every way. Loves every one of us who recognized that we blew it so badly that we needed someone to rescue us, and he sent his one and only son. Ah, please, God, give us that picture. May this song we're about to sing stay with us throughout the whole Christmas season. Help us to know that you, Father God, are a good, good, perfect Father. In Jesus' name, amen.